0: for Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swoley. Let's get to it. B.B. Fahodier, this is Gullah Jack. This is African Liberation Media I'm here with Brother Amos and Brother Macaroo, historians, africologists, technocrats, respectively. In a bit of a somber mood, uh, brothers, I saw the intro to When They See Us by way of Netflix. What do you see? You see a criminal. I'm guilty automatically. I've just not been caught or apprehended. Yeah, you know, that's what you see. We will also focus in during this chat the contextual ideology of brother Amos Wilson. This was a bad brother and one of our most gifted sons. But, you know, to digress a little bit, what is my crime? You know, when I'm apprehended, what is my crime? Living under this white supremacist power dynamic. My crime is simply being alive. Hmm. You know, it does not matter, you cannot graduate out of this, okay? Uh, we are aware of the fact that nobody has a monopoly on truth and contextually, we wanna start with the concept that we are a dominated people. We are dominated people, our lives hang on a thread, literally, day in and day out, yeah, clearly, the offer of the manganese, continues. We point to the date 1619, when we were reduced to a tool. And this reductionism resulted in the thingification, as well as the depersonalization and the dehumanization of the African, which we ourselves, as African people, regardless of the social strata, we have internalized this. You know, thus we. Are experiencing uh, what Brother Wilson refers to as a shared psychosis with the European, the trilogy, the father, the son, and the unholy spirit manifesting itself in this ongoing black on black Kate, self-destructive behavior manifesting itself in various forms, i.e., UK says quitting time, I got to say it's quitting time. You know, the white man may diss me, but brother, you ain't gonna diss me. And you can come up with various scenarios yourself. You and the listening audience, we need your participation. You know, why is it that when we go to a gathering, it is automatically assumed that you, black man, black woman, you have to be in charge of the entertainment committee? You know, go ahead, Sam, tell us a joke. You know, ad nauseum. Wilson refers to this sickness, this internalization of the white supremacist attitude as the psychodynamics, psychodynamics. We got a brother here who will elaborate on the definition as to what the psychodynamics means. This abuse of the African, we're talking about we are insulted daily. To live under white supremacy is to be insulted daily. This kind of crap, this behavior, this denigration—I should say—happens on a continuous basis, which is part, which has become a uh, part of the uh, of the character. Uh, character being the inner penetration of habits. I'll, I'll, I'll use that definition. Character is the inner penetration of habits. Uh, that displays itself wherever we come in contact with people of European uh, heritage. You know, suffice it to say, um, we're gonna deal with Amos Wilson, and um, this is a, actually a study, uh, a theoretical approach as to the causes of the problems as well as some remedial solutions uh, from a theoretical standpoint, which is always better Nothing is more practical than a theoretical solution or approach to dealing with the problem versus trying to resolve these problems uh, through an ad hoc type of manner. But ultimately we have to do the work. Problems, causes, solutions, implementation. The latter is um, where we clearly fall short. The implementation of uh, be it institutions or what have you, family, families playing a key part should play a key part uh in terms of being a resource center a library so that we can educate our people as to how to uh, combat this monstrosity
1: brothers go ahead with it bibi fahodie african family uh, thank you gullah jack you yeah, what what drove us to turn to uh, Dr. Amos N. Wilson, uh, my opinion, one of the most brilliant social scientists this world has ever produced, uh, was the uh, spate of uh, violence that we saw over the uh, quote-unquote Memorial Day weekend that took out a nine-year-old sister in uh, Richmond, Virginia, 10 people killed at a at a community gathering uh 10 people shot rather at a community gathering and one was killed at a community gathering in uh chesapeake virginia and oh what was the chicago experience i think 54 shootings and i can't remember the number of people that were killed that same weekend it may have been 12 um i guess 12 was in my mind because of the the uh the black guy that that, that killed the people at the um, facility also up there in the uh, Tidewater area um, of Virginia. So we said, we we thought we should take a look at Dr. Amos Wilson's lecture called Understanding Black Adolescent Male Violence. It's um, remediation and prevention. And we focused in on the chapter, chapter three, which is called Black Adolescent Masculinity and Antisocial Behavior. And what Dr. Wilson says is he, he says that uh, it is well known that the males of a captive or oppressed people are the targets for special and more intense oppression by their captors and their oppressors than are the oppressed female counterparts. This is the case simply because their principal captors and oppressors, usually males themselves, expect greater and more nakedly aggressive resistance to their dominance from captive, oppressed males. While not denigrating the resistance and revolutionary roles played by women under oppression, we think that the historical record will reveal that the freedoms, movements, social assemblies, and activities of oppressed males, which may be received, perceived by the oppressors as possibly empowering their abilities to resist and overthrow their masters are subject to acute surveillance and repression. Now, of course we, we saw this, we saw this during the, uh, the reign of terror by uh, J Edgar, by day, Mary, by Knight Hoover from the Garvey movement through the black liberation movement. We saw this exact thing, the, oppressed males which may be perceived by their oppressors as possibly empowering their abilities to resist and overthrow their masters are subject to acute surveillance and repression and that's exactly what happened uh, to the honorable marcus Mosiah garvey and his movement and also the same thing that happened to the people that that rose up in the 1960s, first just fighting uh, for reforms and then starting to call for black power and black liberation. And we saw uh, attacking, we saw attacks, violent attacks that resulted in the loss of lives of people like Oma Wally, Malcolm X, uh, a a radicalized Dr. King, and uh, Black Panthers, uh, Bunchy Carter, John Huggins, uh, Fred Hampton, and several others Dr. Wilson says uh, they undermine and destabilize the masculinity of oppressed males by minimizing their self-esteem, negating and destroying their self-concept, self-perception, their self-confidence, or by severely restricting the development and expression of these factors in ways which would liberate them from their oppression. In a word, the oppressed male is ideally made and kept non-threatening to the oppressive regime of his oppressive male counterparts. And so, and so what, what we saw, I'll give you a practical example of the way this played out in the 1970s as black power um, began to develop into a black liberation movement, then, then we saw various forms of attacks. We saw, for example, the uh, mass introduction of drugs, which was followed by a declaration of a war on drugs. We saw in the media, the uh, dissemination of the what was called the black exploitation movies, giving us various images, many of which were destructive. These were things that were designed to uh, not only dull our consciousness but to uh, capture our attention. You know, and I'm guilty as charged, sitting there looking at Pamela Suzette Griff, but uh, also recognizing the uh, the destructive. Uh, Images that be, were being projected by uh, Superfly, the Mac, and others. So they, they have to find ways to keep the non, the uh, oppressed males uh, non-threatening. And when all else fails, then there becomes incarceration. People thrown in jail on trumped-up charges, many of whom are still in prison today Roman, Romaine Chip Fitzgerald, Matula Shakur, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Sundiata Akoli, uh, Jalil Mutaquim, uh, uh, Varenzo Bowers, uh, just uh, these brothers and sisters are still still in jail, primarily brothers are still in jail because they rose up and they became threatening. So, uh, Dr. Wilson says, These males often misguidedly and ignorantly assuming that they are successfully defying white male authority and dominance, defying the system, expressing their independence and masculine prerogatives, expressing their manhood, have been misled or misdirected into violently attacking and corrosively undermining the peace, stability, and the very viability of the African American community. These males have been provoked by their oppressive circumstances into what we might call reactionary masculinity, whose presence and expression are essentially detrimental to the African-American community and ironically to their own well-being. So uh, these young males, a lot of them are are in rebellion, right? Because uh, uh, another thing that I failed to mention was the assault on the black family. The assault on the black family had two characteristics. The first characteristic was the massive expansion of the welfare state where the male was removed from the home. But at this time, only 25% of our children were being raised in a single parent family and the removal of the black male from the labor force in the urban cent- in the urban centers of the United States. And uh, Brother Bone, Clee Sloan's uh, documentary Bastards of the Party, has a very good uh, description of how about 14 industries were moved from uh, the downtown area of Los Angeles in the 1960s and 1970s. And these were jobs that black males could um, you know, could be employed in. And they, they, they paid enough to allow the black male to be able to support his family, to send the children to college and, uh, you know they, this was removed. Now, you know, there are various reasons wh- why the capitalist class can't claim they did this, but the bottom line is it had a, it had a devastating impact. For example, in a lot of the major urban centers, Detroit, uh, Chicago, mm. Milwaukee, uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, Cleveland, uh, St. Louis. if you if there was a study done by the University of Milwaukee, at Wisconsin, in 2010 and it it examined, it focused on black male employment and unemployment in the 50 largest urban centers in the United States. And what you would find in in 1970 now, this is just as the industrialization is just beginning, but in places like Chicago and Detroit, over 70% of the black males between between the ages of 16 and 64, were employed in in at some level, okay. Set that's seven out of ten. By 2010, the employment of males in uh, Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee—three that I remember—were in like the 43, 44 percent range. So you went from seven out of ten to less than five out of ten, okay. And so this is going on while the welfare state is being expanded. The black male is being removed from the home. And so now you've got these young males that are being born into essentially uh, destabilized and dysfunctional uh, situations. So Amos gives us some of the characteristics of what he calls reactionary masculinity. And I guess the opposite of this would be liberating masculinity Uh, the liberating masculinity of, of course, uh, everything starts with the great African warrior, Narmer, but, you know, we could come forward to um, Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X and Bunchy Carter and Patrice Lumumba and Thomas Sankara and uh, Amilcar Cabral and others uh, who represent liberating masculinity. So for reactionary masculinity, uh, just some of the characteristics, and I'll let the other brothers go. Uh, lacks a sense of self, of social responsibility or social interest. Lacks a deep and abiding African identity and consciousness. Exhibits an impoverished empathy for others. Tends toward rigid and excessive self-interest, mm. self-centeredness, self-service, intolerance, and stubbornness. Tends to be opinionated. To view every social encounter as a test of his masculinity and as a struggle for power. Mistakenly identifies physicality, crudeness with masculinity, views domination and sensitivity, unconcern, willingness to injure or kill, seek revenge as essential masculine traits. And we see this with the number of stray bullets that just kill our people. They're just little children in a park playing. Motivated by fear avoidance, escape, retreat from responsibility, ego defense and reactionary frustration by a deep and ever-present sense of inadequacy, by an inferiority complex, an obsessive need to op- appear superior, perceives cooperation with other males, submitting to the rightful authority of other males, conceding points to other males, and relating to them as humiliating incense of their masculinity, believes the mastery of knowledge, crafts, academic, subject matter, professional expertise, the actualization of intellectual Uh, potential to be essentially feminine is a conspicuous consumer consumer oriented concerned mainly by parasitically exploiting others works merely to earn spending money money to spend irresponsibly uh is into flashy clothes cars fads and all types of styles motivated and defined by self-alienation exhibits an absence of self-knowledge ignorance of his ethnic heritage unbounded hedonism narcissistic drives Mm. deep insecurities regarding the reality of his masculinity and his masculine image lacks self-control discipline persistence and high frustration tolerance lacks long-term goals and commitment to pro social values. so those are some of the characteristics there are quite a few more we can go on and talk about but i want to get the other brothers in on the conversation
0: well yeah i just want to say uh from the inception of this settler colony, clearly, you know, violence is as integral to the establishment of the settler colony as breathing. Hmm. You know, I mean, what did Columbus do? Rape, pillage, plunder, and burn. You know, the problem is, once again, you know, America is unwilling to uh, come to the grips about itself and consequently you will have to deal with its consequences. It's like what Malcolm said, ultimately, Chickens will come home to roost. Mm. You know, sadly, um, our brothers have internalized this capitalist ethic that is to acquire money by any means necessary. You know, and this internalization of this white supremacist attitude that we meet out toward each other, you know, it becomes a debased viewpoint. Wilson <clears throat> clearly. A, uh, mm-hmm articulates the fact that personality is so organized so that when we aggress, we aggress against the thing that we hate the most. And in the case of the African, it is the African himself. So you're talking about a confluence of a glorification of violence, which has historically been the case. Violence is as American as apple pie. Jamil Abdullah el has given us this. Boyfriend, girlfriend entanglements which, in many instances, lead to what we might describe as a uh, combustion, you know. But at the contextual level, you know, as African people, we are expected to operate in a capitalist society without capital, hmm. you know. So, you know, like Malcolm said, you're trapped, double trapped, triple trap, ca- trapped. But brother, as I, I let me shut the Sam Hill up, uh, brother, <laughs> I, I will, you know, pick up at some point.
2: Yeah, well, it's almost like, you know, living in an infirmary and expecting not to get sick. The conditions that we are under, it has transformed and created a a male that is reactionary um, due to the conditions that we face. I had a friend that's a therapist, and he has a lot of clients uh, that are young black males. Um majority of his clients are young black males and some of the conversations that we have, um, he often expresses a lot of what you just read from what Dr. Amos Wilson um, expressed in the book. And a lot of those characteristics, from what he sees, uh, it really comes from um, what they're experiencing at home, in the home, uh, with their families at home. And a lot of those families majority of them are single parent homes where there are multiple children, and it's not enough attention paid to teaching the core values of what it takes to be a man um being taught to those young black males and and that's really where we have to really take responsibility and a lot of us we look to African-centered schools or African-centered education to try to substitute for the miseducation that a lot of our people get from this system, uh, from the media, from other factors that are out there. But another effective method or tool that could be used to solve this problem or solve these issues is to create organizations that are key towards uh, educating young black men, even if they can't come to an african Center school or to a black school, programs that can be created, whether it's after-school programs or Saturday programs, um, like the one that we did here in Charlotte for, for years, uh, the Hura Restoration Academy, programs and, and organizations like that that have rituals, rites of passage, and ultimately educational tools to really raise that man up because ultimately children can't raise themselves and boys can't raise themselves into manhood. It takes men to do that. So once we uh, identify, as Amos Wilson has clearly identified, the issues that we we are confronted with um, that cause our men or our males to be like this is ultimately equally responsible for us to to continue to work uh, in the community and, and create those organizations and programs like the Males Place, like other organizations that can act as a benefactor to correcting the problem.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, ultimately practice proves everything and and then there's obviously a a tremendous need man i see uh you talked about psychodynamics early and i, I see give give us a definition brother because you well i phrase. mean there's there's there actually Amos you know uh i got the phrase i had never even heard of it until uh i was at the shrine of the black madonna in atlanta back in the ni- er, ni- early 1990s, and I saw this book. I'd, I'd heard of Amos, quite frankly, just by accident. I happened to be listening to uh, Bob Law's Night Talk mm-hmm. program one night. I was mm-hmm. up real late, and he was interviewing Dr. Jawanza kanjufu And um, I was familiar with Dr. kanjufu and They started talking about this guy named Amos Wilson, whom I had never heard of. This might, this probably was in, this may have been around 1990 or somewhere in that neighborhood, 1989, 1990. And so they talked about this book that Amos had written called The Developmental Psychology of the Black Child. Of course, Dr. Kanjufu was in the process of writing his three books, countering, countering the conspiracy to destroy black boys and so they they were speaking so highly of this guy. I'm like, who is this guy, right? So uh, luckily I was making a, I was traveling quite a bit uh, down to uh, you know Atlanta at the time and found out about the Shrine of the Black Madonna bookstore. And I went in and asked the guy, I said, do you have any books by Amos Wilson? They said, yeah, man, we pointed me in that direction. And that's where I saw the book, Black on Black Violence. The psychodynamics of black self annihilation in service of white domination they also had some of his tapes I bought some of his tapes I think I gave you a tape that might have been in, where, where you were introduced to Amos I uh, think I introduced Amos to um, um, uh, almost all of the, the uh, conscious people you, in Charlotte. You,
0: you did brother around 1994
1: okay I gave yeah. it gave you that tape. Yeah, yeah yeah on our leadership his critique of leadership okay and so um, so anyway, I, I delve into the book. And here's the, the interesting thing about the book is even though the, the word psychodynamics is in the title, he never he never gives a definition of what it is in the book. All right? So you have to kind of figure, you have to do some research beyond. But ba- the easiest way to understand it is that the things young people are exposed to, the things people are exposed to at a very early age at a very early age I'm talking about age you know two three four the things they are exposed to at that age which impact their behavior and their character beginning in their say adolescent years and particularly in their teen years now Tupac Shakur gave I think a real simple explanation of it because a lot of a lot in these in this situation, you know, what we talked about last week, how the black family had survived. Child, the desire for the black family had survived child of slavery, had survived American apartheid. And in 30 years was uh, came under a serious assault that that affects a lot of what's going on today. Um, Tupac's Tupac had this thing called Thug Life, T H U. G L I F E and he and he described it as the hate you give little infants and he used the F word, F's everybody. And so and so that that it is in in a sense is psychodynamics. But it's just not the hate you give, it's self hatred. And there are all kinds of other things that children learn from observing their parents other adults around them their siblings other people in the community they are absorbing all of these things (laughs) i i i never forget i was uh i I was some i was somewhere i don't don't know where i was and this sister was had to be about eight maybe nine months pregnant she was about to pop for sure Mm. and she was sitting in this uh in a car and this music this music was blasting and every other word in the song, and I don't know who the artist was. I don't know if it was uh, Lil Wayne or Rick Ross or who, but they were saying the, the F word, the B word, the N word, over and over. And I'm thinking like after, after having read uh, The Development of Psychology of the Black Child because Amos starts in the womb. I'm saying all, all of this, all these vibrations are going straight into the womb. This child is being damaged at the neonate level. At the neonatal level. Yeah. So, so, so you know. So what we see is a lot of this dysfunction. I mean, one of the worst things that I see in uh, different places um, is you, you you see these a lot of these these women that have children men have just used them for sexual toys essentially right i mean they they it, you know a lot of the women is true are looking for organic vibrators you know maybe they're tired of the plastic or whatever so they're looking for organic vibrators and the men are just in the mindless sex and the children essentially become collateral damage for mindless sex because the people had no intentions of having children they were just having sex and so they went these women have a lot of frustrations as a result of these well they were irresponsible the men were responsible but once you a life is here then somebody has to be responsible usually the child winds up with the women and so all of these frustrations that a lot of them can and i'm just talking about a percentage the, the sisters don't jump on me we know the Heroic effort that many, many, many sisters are, 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 are undertaking to raise, you know, their children uh, without a man involved. But it does take a man, you know. As I say, men and women are not males and females are born. Men and women are not born. Just like husbands and wives are not born. Mm-hmm. There's a socialization process, and even even if you just had two parents that were isolated, that would be difficult. You know, we say it takes the whole village, right? And I mean, that goes back to our, to our, you know, history, you know, the, the legacy of our culture. But you see these women just cursing these little boys out, just calling them M-F-S-O-B, all just. And I'm like, man, when this kid gets to be about, 12 13 or 14 he's gonna be out of control because of all of this stuff that's being pumped into him and i even hear the grandmothers who should know better but you know sometimes the grandmother might be
0: 30
1: 35 or 40 (laughs) right and she frustrated she's still trying to get her groove on uh, so it's it, it's it's become a difficult. But you know, my position is that the family. I mean, we we we, we got to rebuild. We got we got to put forth the effort to rebuild. You know, our families, and uh, otherwise, I don't think I don't think to me there, there's there's no black power without strong black families. It's not going to happen. Now we know we're producing a lot of children in Africa, so we may be. Maybe I think what is it 60 percent of the children in Africa are fifteen and under. Mm. I mean 60 percent of the population. So uh, you know that's uh, you know that's uh, that's something that we got to deal with.
0: One of the reasons I always um, enjoyed uh, uh, the movie Sounder, Paul Winfield and Cecily Tyson, because it was a depiction of an African American family. An African family in American in Babylon, who maintained their familial ties in spite of the most horrendous of circumstances, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, clearly that was was is can be a very instructional tool, you know, vis-a-vis.
1: Uh, you know, I think it would. I think is you know y- you consider ninety percent. The, the at the whole the whole time we were raised, we were maintaining our families about 90% of our people were living in poverty so it just it so it's not poverty alone now obviously in the rural communities there you know there there are less pressures you know in terms of materialism and those kinds of things you know the migrations out of out of the south to the to the northern cities uh certainly had 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 an impact but still like I said by even by 1965 we still had our families I mean we would love to have the conditions today we had in 1965 where 75 percent of our children were being raised in a two-parent family uh but we also have to understand that there's a, there's a reason why the white supremacy dynamic zeroed in on our families. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the children that were born in the 1940s who raised up, who, you know, who rose up in the 1960s were products of strong black families, right? Uh, you know, May, May Charles and Adolphus Carmichael, right? Produced Stokely. And so, you know, you had, so you, you just had a whole generation that was being produced by strong black families, and really, without strong black families, none of this movement takes place. I, I don't care the lunch counters or whatever; none of it takes place without strong black families, and uh, particularly in the rural areas of the Deep South. I mean, particularly out there in Sunflower County, Mississippi, where Fannie Lou and Perry Pap Hamel were. I mean, it just uh, you know that that's the that was the backbone of the movement. The strong black family. The 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 Garvey was able to raise money he 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 was selling stock in the black star lines and you had the whole family pitching in to buy a dollar share or two dollar share but it was a family thing it was a family commitment right garvey doesn't have that success without strong black families so i mean that's that you know that's what we got to get back to but I know we want we want to go on because all of us have been impacted this week by um, Sister Ava DuVernay's Netflix documentary. Undoubtedly, Uh, this 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 had a profound impact. uh, I think I think is impacting the entire you know African community in the United States and um, uh, Brother Amos. I know you have seen all um, all four segments of the of the show why don't why don't you tell us um tell us about that and, 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 and what what you observed in watching that because it's definitely related to this it's the flip side of this of the coin here yeah it's right on it's right on the money
2: when you're talking about strong black families i mean in some cases these young men who were wrongfully convicted of the rape of a white woman in Central Park was due to the fact that some of their family members let them down. I mean, the 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 the, the show clearly depicted a, a black father who was ready to sell his 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 own son to the system <laughs> just so that he wouldn't lose his job. <laughs> you know, that's no different than the slave on the plantation not wanting to lose his. Crumbs off of the dinner table, so he's willing to sell out the the revolution, or sell out the African who was trying to run away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Brother, I have not seen; I've only seen
0: a small segment. But can you elaborate on you know the
2: chronology? Well, there was a there was a uh, scene where the young brother Antron McRae was being interrogated by the police and his mother and his father were both sitting in the interrogation room. And the first alarming thing to me was that he allowed the police officers to disrespectfully speak to his son Mm. in any fashion that they wanted without really objecting, as a father should, Mm. to demand respect for his children. That was the first thing that really And they they, They removed the mother, right? Yeah, yeah, well, they they asked uh, the mother to to leave the room, and uh, well, they asked both parents to leave the room. Mm-hmm. So the father goes out into the hallway, and you know he's you know talking to the officer like a typical Negro would. You know he's begging, <laughs> um, pleading for anything to allow his son to leave. Um, doing it in a fashion as if the officer is his friend. Right. And this is the first mistake, not, mm. not having an understanding. You at of, war. Of, <laughs> that, right, the <laughs> war that you're in, who the enemy this is. This is the enemy. So he's talking to this guy as as if he is going to be the savior for him. Mm. And after he pleads to this uh, white officer, the white officer turns to him and essentially asks, asks him, um, you know, where are you working now? <laughs> the you know, and he responds, you know, I'm working now, you know, such and such. He said, Oh, well, yes, yes, a nice paying job that you got there. And then he goes on to say, um, are they aware of your uh, of your background? Do they know that you've been in prison? Um, and then he goes on to say, Well, I haven't been in any trouble. Uh that's all in the past. I have I haven't gotten in any trouble. He said, I he said, I, I didn't ask you if you've been in trouble. You know, I asked if they are aware that you were a felon. <laughs> You know, when you apply for the job, did you inform them that you were uh, a former felon? And, um, you know, he starts to look puzzled. And then the officer, you know, basically in so many words says, I would hate for them to have to find out your background (laughs) because your son doesn't want to cooperate. Mm. So at this point, the Negro goes back into the interrogation room and tells his son, Say what the police officers want you to say.
1: Exactly. And his son is innocent, hasn't done anything So at his son looks all. his
2: father in the eye and says, I'm not going to lie. I didn't rape no woman. And he says, you know, he goes on, throws a chair, gets mad at his son, you know, yelling at him, saying, you know, you're going to say what the police officers want you to say. He was worse than the police. Right. <laughs> he really was. And then on the other, on, on, on the other aspect of it, um, the scenes where they showed um, Corey Wise's mother, she had no idea where her son was. It had to be for at least almost forty hours. Mm-hmm. So how does almost two days go by? And you don't know where you son. don't know where your son is. He's out in the precinct. You got media showing up to your building. You trying to sneak in the building, and they confront you, asking you is one of your sons involved in the case. So you know she let him down. I feel like she let him down, uh, as well as all of the other parents who allowed their children to sit in there without a lawyer and allowed minors to be interrogated. The first thing they should have said is we're not speaking without our lawyer.
1: Exactly. And, you know, that's what, you know, uh Jack watched about 30, 40 minutes of it. And his first conclusion was, you know, we got we gotta go we gotta do a whole a better job of preparing, you know, our youth particularly our young men for what to expect right from you know from from this system which is which is designed to destroy young black males as Amos points out here because they no longer serve a purpose in this society other than to you know be some you know high-paid entertainers or or you know know, to get up and um, lead a bunch of people to slaughter like Obama so so but but for the chronology, okay, so this took place in 1989. What happened was a white woman was jogging through a park. At the same time, uh, the black children had this thing where they just ran through the park having fun and wilding. I guess. They called it wilding, right? Yeah. And you know sometimes uh, you know they may have confronted some white people and attacked them or whatever. And so this white woman was was brutally raped, brutally raped and beaten. They had no suspects. Even though, as the story goes on, and we found out later, the suspect was literally right under their nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for, forensic pathology 101 was right under their nose. Uh, but they were so determined to blame black men. And, and this, um, the prosecutor that was given the case, uh, a woman by the name of Linda Fairstein, or Fairstein should be called Devilstein, a small head. Devilstein That's or right. what or whatever. Uh, she was. The, she said. She said when when she found out that they had these uh, juveniles that they were getting ready to send to family court, uh, waiting for their parents to come because you know they they, they were minors, right? So she said, "Now we, I, I want I, every black male that was in the park." is a suspect every black male that was in the park is a suspect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they wound up zeroing in on the, the four, four guys they had the, the one young man who wound up serving the most time and he wound up serving time actually he went to adult prison at 16 Corey wise um they they started coercing these young men they 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 they, they, they were torturing them they were beating them and the young the, sister young men had nothing to do with it. They were all telling conflicting stories, even though they had used every trick in the book. I mean, they said like, uh, Ray said you did it, you know, and then no, uh, Antoine said you did it. And, and so all the, who, I don't know, Ray, I don't know. I, and, and then they, they played the good cop, bad cop. The one cop would come in and slap the kid around another cop come in th- Y'all get out of here, leave him alone. I'm not like them. I'm your friend. First thing we got to teach the, the, teach our young people is that the, these, okay. So let's use some practical that some black people can relate to John 8 44. Lying speech is their native, is their native tongue. The father you spring from is the devil. And willingly you carry out his wishes. And the lust
0: of your father you will do.
1: <laughs> exactly. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. The liar and the father of lies. Yes, sir. So, you you know, you, you teach them that. And then you give away so much. It's like, you know, they, they go to the kid's house almost to arrest him. And the cops say, are these the clothes you had on last night? And the daddy tells him, no, go put the clothes. The clothes he had on had mud on them. Mm. And so they were able to tie that back to the struggle, apparently, that the lady put up. But what I said was this. This is what I wrote on our Facebook page. What I said was that all of the elements of the white supremacy dynamic whatever their religious affiliation, all of the elements of the white supremacy dynamic. That is the religion. All of them are devils, the begin, whatever, whatever religion they claim. It's white supremacy. You know. uh,
0: The sacrament is racism. I'm sorry, brother. You
1: got the, you got the, you got the, the crooked prosecutor, crooked detectives. You got a judge that was specifically selected. And you got a jury. You cannot let the jury off the hook. And, You got the uh, power structure media, which is railing, you know, to have these young men, you know, uh, basically lynched. And then you have the white supremacist oligarch, Donald Trump, taking out full page ads, calling for a reinstatement of the death penalty so these young men can be executed. Well, like I said, I think
2: that, like you said, it's a lack of education. When When you interrogate a child, for them to be in there for 24, 32, 48 hours, not being allowed to use the bathroom, not being allowed to eat, um, eventually they're going to break. Of course. And if you got one cop saying, you know, if you just say this, then you can go home, mm-hmm. telling them lies, then they, uh, I mean, a minor is going to follow through with that if they're not educated properly. Exactly. If so a properly educated minor or young male, would have went in there, and as soon as they entered the room, they would have said, I'm not saying a word without my attorney.
1: Exactly.
2: End of interrogation right there. That's the end of it. That's the end of the interrogation. You don't have to say a word. That's why they wanted the boys to to waive their rights to an attorney. Exactly. once you do that, they got you. They got you. So you got to understand what we're up against. Police officers, since the beginning of the foundation of police departments, have always lied. To get a confession out of somebody, they're always going to say, well, your friend said you said this or we got this evidence here. Prove it in court. Prove it. You have to prove it in court. So I thought that um, in the one case of, you know, Yusef's mom, when she stepped in and. Threatened to go to the the, the the New York Times, right? And she, and she got she know, got him out of there before he, he could make a statement. He, before he could make a statement, right? Or before he could wave his wife to an
1: attorney. And the one mother got sick, and left. You the 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 the, the uh, he looked right, like he might have been the youngest one. Was that Antoine or Kevin? Which one was that? The one, the first one that you know he got beat in the park. You know the cop jumped over the bridge. That was Kevin, yeah. Yeah, Kevin. You know he said, "Where is my mom? Where is my mom?" And because uh, the, the the black officer tried to stop them. He said, he's only 14. You can't interrogate him. He said, his mother got sick. She had to leave. And he said, oh, the mother voluntarily left? But see, even that, he didn't know that he didn't have to say a word. He didn't have to say a word.
0: It goes back to what brother said. You know, I mean, educate from the womb. I mm-hmm. mean, from... Yeah. From the cradle, what, yeah, brother. Almost. What was
2: your emotional reaction to this? I mean, I, I was watching it, and even though I knew about the story, seeing it reenacted is only going to make you mad. You know, sitting back, you know, yelling at the TV, you know, you should do this, you should do that, and of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easier to say what you would do if you're not in 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 a situation, but this is fundamental stuff, you know, fundamental stuff that even the, I mean, come on, if you're 14, you're almost a high school. You should know how the law works by the time you get to that. If you if you don't know, that means you're not being educated properly. Even you're not if, being educated properly on how to deal with Europeans with this war that we're in. And we watch a lot of television.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and and, and they show you these things. I mean, you've been, you know, I I was, I remember I was in. Even if you watch Matlock, you'll see that. Yeah, I was in one, I was in one confrontation and um, the uh, law enforcement were, you know, started asking me a lot of questions. And my, my first question to them was, what am I being charged with? Well, you're not being charged with anything. We just want to ask you a question. I said, well, you want to ask questions? I said, and souls in hell want water. I said, so if you want to, I t- 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 took my hand and said, put the cuffs on me and take me downtown so I can call my lawyer. Well, I'm not saying anything to you at all. And that's how it should be. This is, just, this is just an investigation, okay? I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to, say, I don't have to answer any of your questions. If you want to charge me with a crime, Take me down. T- now, granted, I'm like, I've been in the struggle, you know, I'm like maybe 19 or something like that, but I've been in the struggle since I'm like 17. So I got experience. Obviously, these young men didn't.
2: And But that's a shame because, see, when you dealing with survival, when you understand what it takes to survive in this jungle that we in called United Snakes of America. It's certain things that need to be taught. The same way that they created those programs like there and went into first grade and second grade classrooms and say, don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. And they tried to teach children when they brought the police officers in with the dogs, the K-9 units and everything. You remember those programs? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. There, yeah.
2: They created those programs for a political purpose. Yeah,
1: my children went through them. I didn't, but yeah. yeah. They
2: created them for a political purpose. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm we should have programs in place that teach our boys and young men how to deal with police officers all the way around, all the way across the board from a traffic stop to an interrogation uh, to, to everything. You should know what to say. It should be so robotic in your mind that everybody has the same response.
1: Mm -hmm. I know. Well, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that was one of the major things that Kaepernick was doing with his camps, the uh, camps that, he, that that he set up. He, uh, he would bring these youth in and uh, he would have lawyers come in and talk to the children and then what they, they created it was like a um, something like a uh, like a little card mm-hmm. that they could that the kids could put in their wallet and carry with them and it, it had a list. Of things on the on the card, you know, that 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 you can do's and don'ts mm-hmm. when uh, when confrontation. Uh, these were. and it's
2: gotta be it's gotta be scenarios. You know, it's like you ever seen the show uh, To Catch a Predator? I haven't seen that one. So though. it's a show that they have where they have enactments of uh, either police or people trying to lure in a predator. In a certain situation. A sexual predator? Or what a sexual of? predator. Okay. And then they bust them, or they also have enactments where they'll take young children and they'll put them in situations mm-hmm. where the person is doing what a predator would do to see how they respond to the situation. Like they had this one show where the, the, the predator was a ice cream truck man. So they wanted to see how many children would actually get into the ice cream truck with the predator. So the predator pulls up in the ice cream truck, Mm -hmm. and the children are right there playing. So as soon as they hear the music, they start running towards the the van, right? Yeah. So you know he starts talking to them, and um, he sells them some ice cream. And he says, "Hey, you want to see how we make ice cream inside?" And then you can see two kids over there. They start looking at each other, and then one kid. You know, he has no recollection. He just walks right He's like, yeah, he just walks up. And the other two kids looking at each other like, should we do it? But they see the other kid do it. So then they start following him. And so they all go on there. Now the Predator got all three of now them. Now the Predator got all of them on, the, on the, uh, the uh the van or whatever. So he's on the van showing them ice cream. Now he's acting, but a real Predator. Will do that. Once they get in that car, mm-hmm. he's going to shut that door and drive off.
1: It's over. It's over.
2: So- these different type of scenarios, these same type of scenarios should be enacted within educational programs for black youth. They should be interrogated. They should be put through situations where you have to deal with situations and understand how to get out of them. Just like if you pledging, right? You go through situations where you have to understand how to deal with certain situations. Just like in manhood training. They had to know and understand from a young age that, you know, you don't go fight that wildebeest because you could lose your life, mm-hmm. right? You can't just send somebody out there now. We can't send our children out there naively to face this beast. Right. Because, I mean, they're going to continue to get ate up like guppies.
1: Yeah. Talk uh, almost Excellent. about um, about, how, about how two things, two things I want you to talk about, and we only got like four minutes, but just briefly talk about um, what happened with um, Corey Wise, who was the 16-year-old who actually wasn't even a suspect, uh, what happened with him, and how just by act of by fate that he wound up in 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 prison with the with the real rapists, and and how the, how the thing was resolved.
2: Well, it's a real it's it, it's it's really um, a story that when you read it and when you watch it you really sit back and say, damn, I don't even know how this even took place. Because the first thing you have to uh, understand is Corey Wise, he wasn't on the quote-unquote investigation list of the young young males who were potential suspects. So he was with Youssef Salam at the time when he was um, acquired by the police to be taken out to the police station and... Being a good friend, he didn't want to leave his friend alone. So he actually joined him and rode down to the police station under his own will. Mm-hmm. So he's sitting there waiting on Yusef, Uh And then the next thing you know, he gets taken in also as a suspect. And then he gets convicted. At the time, he was 16 years old. Everyone else was younger than the age of 16. So he gets sentenced as an adult and sent to Rikers Island. And inside the prison system, um, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Khalif Browder, it's a similar situation when you have a young male in an adult prison, and you know that they're going to get beaten, they're going to get potentially raped, or and, and plus he and tortured.
1: was plus he was a famous prisoner, right? Because even a lot of the prisoners and the guards believe that he was actually guilty of racin, raping this white woman,
2: right? Right. So you have all of these all of these. Uh, correctional officers and prisoners Who are targeting uh, Corey Wise um, And eventually uh, In prison he actually By chance Gets into a, a fight Or altercation With Mateus Reyes Who was actually the serial rapist Who actually raped another woman Before he raped this jogger And When he raped this woman She was pregnant at the time. He broke into her apartment and raped her while her children were in the other room. He stabbed both of her eyes out and stabbed her nine times and killed her. So this is the rapist that's really the guilty person who raped the jogger in Central Park.
1: Yeah, and there there had been about four or five rapes, really brutal rapes, that had taken place at the same time. Yeah,
2: and he had committed all of them. He committed all of them. So he just so happens to get into a fight with uh Mr. Reyes and then after the fight somehow they became friends.
1: Reyes had a
3: so
2: Reyes, Christian conversion or Reyes something. Reyes had uh, a Christian conversion. <laughs> he felt guilty that Corey Wise was was in prison serving time for a rape that he committed. And in two thousand two he came forth and admitted to uh, the uh prison officials that he committed this crime. They ran DNA tests on him and his DNA matched. The DNA that was found at the crime scene of when the woman was raped,
1: and that DNA was available to them all the time, and none of the DNA of the five black males matched the DNA that they had found there, and but, that was
2: presented in court. So and it was you, presented if, if in you, court. If
1: you're a juror, how
2: can you find somebody guilty if they said that none of that DNA was was
1: at the crime scene at all? None of it. No, no blood, no hair. You know, no semen. No, no nothing was there and you know this is what my daughter says to get through all of the levels of law enforcement without being impacted by white supremacy is virtually impossible but tell them almost about how this crooked prosecutor and the crooked detectives reacted after this guy came forward well i think we got a little bit of time left uh we run out of
2: time but even when they were found not guilty or even when they were exonerated they um, never got an apology from this woman, from this, from this small-hat Jewish uh, prosecutor who is now a famous no- uh, novel author who's made thousands of dollars off of writing crime stories, sitting in the, in, in the comfort of her room in, 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 in her bedroom at home, and even after these men who she wrongfully convicted were found to be exonerated of these crimes, she still, to this day, believes that they're guilty, along with Donald Trump.
0: Brother, these systems are anti-human. I don't even have an app description. Yeah.
1: And not only that, the uh, this uh, Linda, uh, this uh, Devilstein, Devilstein, or whatever you want to call her, she more or less she applied pressure to uh, the other. Uh, attorney that she handed the case. The other prosecutor, uh, Letterer, what was her first name? Elizabeth Letterer. Eliz- Elizabeth Letterer, and Elizabeth Letterer, the, the, this lady who who engaged in this, in really uh, what should be classified as prosecutorial misconduct by by any by any definition of it, it she should be charged with prosecutorial misconduct. She is still a prosecutor. This lady that sent these boys to jail is still a prosecutor in New York. There's an online petition calling to have, I, I signed a petition today calling for her to be removed. And check this out. She's a law professor at Columbia University. Right now, this crooked prosecutor that caused these young men were in jail from six years to Corey Wise in jail 14 years. 14 years of hell, torture, and the, and these people are still employed well, in the law enforcement system. Go ahead, I, brother. And,
2: I, and I'll close, yeah, go I, ahead, I'll close, close it. the show out with this right here. If you watch the doc, the miniseries, um, that same prosecutor, one of the things that she said that you all should take and understand is when, when the lawyer asked her, uh, Are you going to apologize? She said, Apologize for what? She said, This is about politics. And politics is about survival. And when survival comes, there are no rules. That's the white man's mentality. I want y'all to really understand the, 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 the white Europeans mentality is when it comes to their survival, mm-hmm. there are no rules. So you can't play play by any rules. We dealing with Europeans.
1: No moral conscience.
2: <laughs> this has been the African Liberation Media Podcast of BB for The
1: BB Fojier.
2: Power
3: or the lack of power. I want to repeat this, power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, You are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of Black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.